Hey, Russo here with George Mason University. Um, in today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, and that is me doing a lightning review of an article. So I'm trying to do some different things this year. Uh, one of them is the author of an article just basically doing a rundown short um, um, explanation of the article. Um, so this is kind of like, I guess, an audio version, an audio short version of it without having another voice or another guest to kind of go back and forth. Um, I know that for some people, this might not be what they want in a podcast. And so if that's not what you're interested in, feel free to skip through. There's over 200 episodes underneath this that have uh, great, uh, great people on. But if this is something that you like, uh, I'd love to hear back from you all, um, especially if it's, um, you know, somebody who wants to do one of these for their uh, for their research paper instead of coming onto the podcast to go back and forth. So um, the paper that we're uh, highlighting today is a paper that um, I co-wrote with Brianna Meza, who is a master's student uh, of mine at Cal State Fullerton, and Sarah Flory. Um, the title is Stereotypical Views of Beauty and Boys Still Not Letting Girls Play, a Student-Centered Curriculum for Young Girls Through an After-School Activist Approach. Um, the article is published in the Journal of Teaching and Physical Education, so I'll put the link to that uh, citation and a link to an overview that we posted in our blog and the notes. So in the study, we had the objective of exploring how a student-centered curriculum acted through the GIRL program um, over a school year engaged participants in critical analysis of the ideal female body um, and really helped fifth and sixth grade girls identify perceived barriers to physical activity. So the GIRL program acted within the REACH program that I've done a bunch of research on. Um, so we decided to do the research because uh, over a decade ago, Oliver Hamza and the Lalik uh, and McCautry and Lugetti, um, they've been working closely with girls and highlighted the myriad issues that young girls face to participating in physical activity. Um, so although there's been a lot of uh, studies that have been written about the topic, uh, physical education and physical activity opportunities have really not changed a lot. Uh, we've seen youth sports especially decline uh, even throughout the pandemic now. Um, we found that the uh, boys continue to act as barriers to girls' physical activity during breaks and after-school activities, uh, which basically results in the boys still not letting them letting girls play. So that's the title of the paper. Uh, so we decided to put into action the activist approach with perspective of fostering change in girls' physical activity engagement in their school environment. So when we look back at the literature uh, we find that social justice and equity issues in education and society have been discussed in systemic, institutional, historical, and cultural forms. And these studies demonstrate that marginalized students have been experiencing great barriers to entering uh, the physical activity and physical education context for, for decades. Um, research also has shown that these barriers are aggravated for girls who are kept away from physical activity for a lot of reasons. So, for example, a lot of girls um, have their parents uh, who have safety concerns for them practicing physical activity in the community. Um, however, there are also internal aspects of physical education and opportunity for physical activity inside schools have been overlooked and serve as barriers to girls' engagement, such as the male dominance of physical activity in sports settings in school. And this was clear in our study as well. 
where boys kind of dominated specific areas of the blacktop or field uh, that a lot of girls talked about not feeling comfortable playing in. So considering the girls' narrative that boys do not let them play, uh, in our study we used an activist approach with a feminist post-structuralist lens uh, throughout a school year and the girl after-school program. Um, so uh, we've already brought other activist studies in this podcast, so you can look at episodes 71, 134, and 161 to kind of learn more about those. But let's go through a quick overview uh, so the activist approach has four critical elements, uh, student-centered pedagogy, uh, creating spaces in the curriculum for girls to focus on embodiment, number three, inquiry-based education centered in action, and finally, sustained listening and responding over time. So uh, if you want to read more about the activist approach, uh, Kim Oliver um, has a book out, uh, Girls, Gender, and Physical Education, um, with David Kirk, I think it was published in 2015. So that's a good resource to learn about the activist approach. Um, looking at this approach through the feminist post-structuralist lens led us to comprehend how gendered, cultural, and racial discourses among the girls could be understood. So we focused uh, on discussing the ways language influenced the girls' individual experiences and highlighted how the girls express themselves in the process. Um, the after-school girl uh, program uh, took place at Waterfalls Elementary, which is a pseudonym, um, and this is a Title I school serving a majority Hispanic, Latina, uh, Latino population. The girls who participated in the research were uh, 9, 10 to 11-year-olds who participated in the program, uh, and then we had two coaches, Bree and Olivia, who ran the program and were also researchers in the study. Um, the girl curriculum was semi-structured and had a student-centered approach. So we had two goals in the program that were to influence participants' lives and to empower the girls to practice high levels of confidence and satisfaction with their bodies. Um, to achieve these goals, we focused on developing a safe space in which girls could discuss the various concerns regarding their bodies. Um, so looking at Oliver and Osterreich's, I think it was 2012 model of student-centered inquiry as curriculum, uh, we use that as a guiding base in our study. Um, the model led us to work closely with the girls. It involved a cyclical process of planning, responding to students, listening to respond, and analyzing the responses. And since the girl curriculum was tailored to meet the participants' interests and desires, the girls' feedback was constantly considered. So the entire process was to thoughtfully build on the girls' knowledge and choices to adapt the curriculum to their needs. Um, during the school year, the curriculum was divided into four seven-week segments. So the first segment focused on introductions, uh, trust-building activities, and effective communication strategies. The um, second segment was focused on the activist approach of embodiment, introducing activities such as showing the girls empowering videos and engaging in magazine exploration activities. Um, Kim Oliver was really great. Uh, that helped um, the graduate student, Bree, who was working on this project, got some guidance from her in how to structure this um, and then the third segment of the curriculum, a student-centered pedagogy approach, focused on providing choices to the girls for completing the activities in different ways, such as writing or discussion or providing activities the girls had suggested. Um, and the last segment focused on culminating activities that would make a lasting impact, so aligning with an inquiry-based education centered in action. 
So when we look at the methods of the study, we had a lot of formal um, data or a lot of forms of data collection. Um, Bree kept a researcher journal, field notes and observations. Uh, we looked at participant journals throughout the program, which lasted a year. Um, when they went off for winter break, we gave them uh, journals to uh, talk about during their or to journal in during their winter break with some prompts to uh, engage them even when they weren't in school. And then we did semi-structured interviews with students. Um, we had emails between the after-school program coordinator and the researcher um, and artifacts created by the participants during the girls' session. So we had a ton of data from the study. Um, we, we wanted to bring the voice of the girls looking for alternatives that can encourage change in our future pedagogical practice. So in the project, the girls recalled moments in which they were you know, dissuaded from physical activity and felt demoralized in physical activity contexts. Uh, mostly because of the boys who would not allow them to play, uh, specifically because they were girls. Uh, the results of these issues was uh, girls having to find alternative activities, such as basketball instead of soccer, to avoid negative interactions with the boys because the boys dominated the soccer field um, and a lot of times pushed the girls out. So they would pick basketball because that was a safe place for them. Um, it's also key to acknowledge that in order to be accepted at all in the environment of physical activity amongst boys, girls are expected to have a prerequisite ability uh, level when compared to the boys and show more outwardly aggressive behavior. Um, so one example was Diana, um, a pseudonym, but um, a girl who had a high skill level in soccer and played hard and aggressive on the field, and she was always allowed to play with the boys. Um, so the rough and overly competitive behavior of the boys who controlled the sports setting pushed the girls away from engaging in physical activity. Um, now, those actions took place in school. The effects of these actions were felt beyond the school environment, which resulted in a concern and even a fear to engage in physical activity in after-school environments. Um, and so the dialogical parts of this research that developed critical awareness were fundamentally uh, or fundamental to building a foundation for change in the context. Um, so the, the goal of the girl curriculum was to engage the participants in discussions regarding things like body image, exposing negative messaging, uh, the girl's face and explaining how they can navigate this often complicated environment. So as well as kind of redirecting negative discourse regarding gender to be a more positive dialogue. Another aspect of the girl curriculum that we believe uh, enhanced the experience of, in the program was the student-centered activities. Um, so what I mean is that the girls in the program were heard. Uh, the coach worked with the girls who had a say in what was done. Um, in other words, the girls were in control. Their opinions were constantly uh, sought after uh, consistently throughout the year, uh, and they were encouraged to maintain the student-centered nature of the curriculum. So the girls enjoyed being able to choose some of their activities or the topics of those activities with some flexibility. So this brings the discussion of considering development of safe and comfortable spaces for girls to practice physical activity in single-sex environment, you know, possibly promoting the possibility of empowerment and, and engagement. Uh, so the second theme from our results that we discussed 
was the alignment with the ideal female body. So in this theme, we discuss the stereotypical views of beauty that were brought up by the girls. Uh, we present what we see as the first ripple of change from years of previous research. Um, there are three main findings here. So one was girls aligning with stereotypical views of the female body. Two, the body positive movement that's made a change in how girls perceive themselves. And three, the instances in which girls described how being a girly girl, quote, again, coming from Kim Oliver's work, was not actually a barrier for their physical activity engagement. So uh, the girls in this study expressed uh, their view of gender norms and beauty standards and the effect this had on their everyday life um, by being in an exclusive girls space the participants were able to access uh, and discuss these often touchy subjects in a private manner so it was all girls and it was a all girls coaching obviously um, Bree was my master student who worked with me but I wasn't in those meetings having those conversations so she did this uh, in an all girl setting um, the coaches were also able to challenge the thinking of the girls to critically analyze their understanding about beauty uh, another aspect of this discussion was that the discourse around beauty was steeped in positive language and messages. So, for example, one participant said, just be yourself. And we saw this throughout the journals is having this idea of just be yourself. Uh, another participant expressed her positive body image and confidence about her body, replying, because I don't want to change anything. Uh, so I'm kind of working to wrap this study up. The girl program uh, the participants were at the center of the pedagogical and curricular decision-making process. Uh, this format set aside the first segment of sessions to build this foundational trust. So the first seven weeks was about building trust. And it intentionally built stronger relationships throughout the program and offered a space in which the girls could really express their thoughts and feelings. Um, the result was a palpable environment with feelings of safety in which the girls could be themselves um, all of this was possible because the coaches facilitated that trusting relationship with the participants, mostly due to coaches' intentional planning to engage the participants in activities uh, to build that relationship. And the participants also recognized the relevance of the after-school sessions being only for girls. So Alicia mentioned in an interview, quote, because you guys are like girls, so like I would feel uncomfortable to say to coach Roberto and stuff, but like for you guys, like you guys understand how we feel because you guys have been through it before. So even though Alicia uses guys like seven times in that single quote, she related to those uh, female coaches thinking that they have been through it. So it was a comfortable place for them to talk to versus a male coach that was also coaching in that same program, um, but was coaching more on the boys, boys side and the girl program was uh, completely separate. So ending up with a big takeaway message. Um, to us, it's really frustrating to see that despite the rising literature re uh, related to disparities in physical activity levels of boys and girls, the opportunities for girls to engage in physical education and physical activity have really not evolved in the last decade and these settings are still male dominant when we look at the results of uh kim oliver's papers 
um, the boys won't let us play. Uh, great article. I mean, we had very similar results a decade apart. That things are just not changing, and that's that's really frustrating to see. Um, so we suggest that the preparation programs for teachers and administrators really critically examine their practices and policies to provide more equitable programming for all students. We also have to consider the importance of more positive role models to encourage girls to be physically active. Uh, in this study, having women as coaches enhance the dialogue among the girls, fostering positive experiences that could promote change in the environment. Um, but there are some issues there, right? So in physical education, we can't have single-sex PE in the U.S. In other countries, they have single-sex PE, and in some countries it works really well, and some scholars and some teachers argue against it. Um, but it's an imperfect system. Not a lot has changed in the last decade spanning the publication of these two articles. Um, and so, you know, looking at as as a father of a very, very young, young girl, I look at this, you know, and I'm, I'm disappointed. There should be no difference in physical activity levels between boys and girls or, you know, studies that show skill development uh, is on, you know, just fundamental motor skills is different by gender where there should be no gender difference. Uh, and I think that that has a lot to do with how we, um, how we treat girls in physical activity, physical education settings. So, um, I'll put the link to the full article. Uh, you can check out the citation, read that citation. I'll also link to, um, Kim Oliver's paper in 2010. Um, there's also this blog. And again, if, you dislike this, I would really like for uh, for you to tell me. Uh, this is a, a format that just doesn't make sense. Let me know. Um, then I won't pursue trying to put things like this out. If this helped you and gave you an overview of something that you would have not ordinarily read, then please tell me. Um, I'd love to know that because then I can recruit people to make these short summaries of their uh, papers that you can listen to in... Uh, less than 20 minutes to get an overview. So uh, that's all we got. And thanks to Alba Rodriguez as, uh, as always for, uh, for help in editing and uh, producing these podcasts. Thanks. If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also going to get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.